well as david said happy mother's day i'm delighted to celebrate mother's day with all of you and i have to say my sermon is not about mother's day so what i want you to do is for a moment just for the sake of the sermon think of days that are not mother's day and answer this question at least in your mind if you were to use one word to characterize our society what would it be? Again, any day but other than Mother's Day, because obviously that changes things a little bit. If you were to use one word to characterize our society, what would it be? My word would be divided. I'm not saying that there aren't other descriptors out there that could work, but I think divided captures something about the overall kind of tone of American society right now. Have you noticed just how many different divisions there are among us and how deep those divides are becoming? There are some pretty obvious ones. Are you a Republican or a Democrat? Are you outraged or delighted by the leaked Supreme Court documents about Roe v. Wade? When Biden won the election, did you cry or did you celebrate? Was January 6th a terrifying insurrection or really is the whole thing blown a little bit out of proportion. That's a pretty obvious divide in our culture, right? Easy to see the divisions on the basis of politics and all of its offshoots and corollaries, attitudes towards masking, climate change, and so on. There's some other obvious divides among us. For example, our society talks a lot about race, a lot. And divisions on that score have been hashed and rehashed for decades. There are some divides, though, that are a little, a little more subtle, though no less important for many, many people. Among many of the many, many effects of the pandemic uh, was that it highlighted how the wealthy have a way and ability to um, find ways to increase their wealth no matter the circumstances, whereas for the poor, they're always on the brink of crisis and they're very much at the mercy of the changing circumstances. And that wage gap keeps growing. Some of the harshest and most vitriolic divisions center on hot button issues, gender ideology, religious freedom, Auburn versus Alabama. <laughs> All right, y'all know I'm joking about that. Though if any of my Alabama relatives ask you, roll tide. But we as a society, we are getting polarized and divided at every level and in many, many different areas. It's clear to all of us, I think. And as Christians, it's our responsibility, it's our duty. More than that, though, it's our nature. It's our nature as Christians, first and foremost, citizens of the kingdom of God. Our nature to look at these divisions and to ask, what does God say about this? Now, to be fair, sometimes that's a nature we have to consciously choose in, to live into. It's very easy for all of us to get pulled into these discussions and debates and arguments and to side with one side or the other without necessarily deeply questioning why. It's part of being human. But we have to choose to live into that nature and to ask, as new creations in Jesus, how does God see this? How does he want us to live as Christians in the midst of so divided a society? Well, our reading from Revelation today has something to say about this. 
In this portion of the prophecy, John catches a glimpse of the worship in heaven. This worship is not just angels and other spiritual beings like we might expect. In fact, it's significantly made up of humans. Humans gathered together in that heavenly temple and worshiping Jesus. And this is how John describes what he sees. He says, I looked, and there was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, robed in white with palm branches in their hands. They cried out in a loud voice saying, salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. What are the primary characteristics of these worshipers? Well, in the order that John lists them, here's the main things I see. First of all, there's a lot of them. There are a lot of people in this worshiping multitude. In fact, he doesn't even try to guess at a number. He says, a great multitude that no one could count. And second, they're an incredibly diverse group on many, many ways, many, many levels. Uh, they are as nationally, ethnically, tribally, and linguistically varied as possible. And then third, they are all worshiping God. Now that first one I mentioned, just the sheer number of people there, that one, for the second one to be true, that one would kind of have to be true. To be as varied as he describes that crowd, there would have to be an awful lot of people there. So we're not gonna worry so much about number one. We're not gonna worry about how many people and all of that. But let's take a look at those second two descriptions. And in that second piece there, the diversity of this gathered group, we see something really important. There's still differences between these people. They are in their resurrected bodies. Uh, they are worshiping God in the heavenly temple, but there's still differences between peoples and languages and all these different demographic factors. It's not like everyone in their resurrected body was suddenly, I don't know, purple and tall and spoke angelic languages. No. Being finally perfected in Jesus does not erase all of the differences and make one big homogenous group for eternity. This passage is emphatic that there are significant and visibly obvious differences between the people. John just sees them and he can see it. This group is the most varied group of people you can imagine. So now we come to that third point, the fact that they are all worshiping. You see, the only thing uniting this giant, wildly varied crowd is their shared corporate worship of God. These people may represent every imaginable demographic, but they are united, brought together in worship. When we draw these two points together, we see that the very differences between the worshipers are part of what glorifies God in their worship. They, that, those differences are a statement that God is God, not just of one people or one geographic area, but of all peoples in the whole world. God is God, not just of one language, but of every language. The differences matter not because they create some sort of hierarchy. Well, this type's the best, and then this one, and this one, and this one, or even that one is good and one is bad. These differences matter because they highlight the glory of God. The wonder of John's vision is not the uniformity, 
It's the unity. So what does all of this say to how we approach the divisions we face in our society these days? Well, the first thing it says is we have to be discerning about those differences, about those divisions. What is eternal in the people we encounter, in the people we argue with even? What is eternal? What will last into eternity? It turns out their culture and their language are eternal and those sorts of factors. And these things not only will last, but they bring glory to God. Those aren't things to be erased, but to be rejoiced in. What's not eternal? Their opinions, their politics, their socioeconomic status. Both poverty and wealth as we know it right now, those end when we die. And I guarantee you that when we die, each and every one of us here will discover that there are some things we are very, very convinced of right now that in fact we are very, very wrong about. You need to remember that we process and understand the world through limited and flawed human reason. As the book of 1 Corinthians puts it, we see as in a glass darkly. And that's only the part of reality that we have sensory access to. So of course we're gonna get some things wrong. All of us, all of us. All that to say, which differences are eternal? Only a handful. And most of those are gonna bring glory to God. Now, I say most of those because there's one difference I haven't mentioned yet, but it really is significant and it bears a little bit of discussion. That's the difference between those who know and follow Jesus and those who do not. Later in the same reading, John talks to one of these heavenly beings that's present with him. And this person tells John that the people he has seen gathered in worship are they who have come out of the great ordeal. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. What this means is it's both those who have come out of the great ordeal at the end of time, the great tribulation, but also those who've come out of the trials and tribulations of everyday life and have remained faithful to God. In effect, these worshipers are the faithful Christians who have died in Christ and been saved by him. That's what the whole washing the robes and the blood of the lamb is talking about. And now, having died and been saved, they are standing before the throne of God and worshiping. The difference between those who follow Jesus and those who do not is the most important eternal one of all because it determines whether or not they will be part of that worshiping multitude at all. Okay, so having distinguished between those things that are eternal and those which are not, what else does this have to say to our current situation? The second thing this passage has to say is that when we encounter another person, whether we agree or disagree, any of those things, when we encounter someone, we must understand them first and foremost as a person. Most of the divisions we encounter are temporal, that is, they're limited by time and will be gone in eternity, and they're not a basis for attributing worth to people. And those differences that will persist into eternity are all for the glory of God. So they don't give anyone more or less value. There are two bases for human dignity, for human worth. And the first is each and every human is made in the image of God. And the second is each and every human is a hopeless sinner who Jesus died to save. Essentially, the only possible foundations for human dignity and worth are that God made us 
and God loves us. And no one is better than anyone else on that scale. It's a level playing field. So each and every person you encounter, no matter how different from you, you must see as someone with the same God-given dignity and worth as you have, the exact same. There's no difference even in degree. They're not better, they're not worse. Okay, so you might call me back to what I said about um, people who follow Jesus and those who don't. And you might say, well, does that change the, uh, the algebra in this situation? But the truth is it doesn't. Because even people who don't follow Jesus, they're still made in the image of God. And God still loves them. And you also, you never know. Maybe they don't follow him right now, but maybe they will. Come back in a year, 10 years. Who knows? They might come to know Jesus. So really the only difference that makes is that you should pray extra for them so that they will come to know Jesus. To recap, throwing a lot of information at y'all, you need to be intentional about thinking through and remembering which differences, which divisions will last into eternity. And then you need to see each and every person as equally valuable and worthwhile, ourselves as no better or no worse. When we do all of these things, we become more humble because we know that we are just the same as anyone else. And we also begin to seek the best for other people, no matter how much we like or dislike or agree or disagree with them. Because we know that our differences and divisions are so small compared to the unity of worth and worship that we have in Jesus. I started the sermon by talking about all the ways we are divided as a society. Here's the thing about all of those divisions and differences that seem so pressing and so important and so all-encompassing right now. Jesus does not side with us or with them. In the words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, when Christ calls a person He bids them come and die. Jesus doesn't baptize our agendas. He is either all-consuming in your life, or he's nothing to you. The good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel, is for right-wing radicals and crazy liberals. It's for anti-maskers and tree-huggers. It's for the residents of trailer parks and the residents of Bellmead Boulevard. It's for black lives and blue lives and people of every color. The skin, the gospel, is not something that we can lead wherever we want it to go or use to rain fire and brimstone on our foes. The gospel cuts through those differences with the intensity of a laser. It destroys our preconceptions, our self-righteousness, and our supercilious indignation. And it explodes amongst us in an all-encompassing blast of grace. It shatters us, and it puts us back together again. In the light of the gospel, the differences we cling to as making us better than one another are shown to be nothing in the face of the righteousness of God. The saints' robes were washed in the blood of the Lamb, and they were clothed with dignity that was given to them, not because they were better, but because they were his. We have nothing, nothing that makes us better than anyone else. The only division that will matter in the end is whether or not we follow Jesus. 
and the only differences that will last into our eternal resurrected life are those that will glorify God in the unity of our worship. Amen.